Hey, hey! Welcome to another installment of Too Much to Watch. I'm Sam Papard. On today's show, I will be pre-capping the end of two all-time heavyweight TV shows, Succession and Barry. They are ending. The series finale of both shows is happening tonight on HBO. This is kind of a rare moment where we have two shows of a very high level of quality. They're kind of in the pantheon conversation of all-time great prestige TV. And one finale will happen, and then another one will follow after that on the same streaming service slash network. It's quite a moment. I'll be, so on the subject of that, I'll be diving into both of these shows, what I thought about these seasons so far, what I think about the show as a whole, and maybe predictions as to what I think will happen, but that's sometimes an exercise in futility. And does this kind of leave a void for a while in the landscape of TV? I mean, obviously the show, this show is called Too Much to Watch, but these shows kind of dominate the conversation. Um, within the podcast and critic world. So I'll be talking a little bit about that. So on the subject of Barry, I haven't talked about this show at all. It's kind of lived. It's interesting that HBO decided to line this show up exactly along how Succession will play out. It's kind of almost lived in the shadow of it, despite the fact that if this show was on all by its lonesome on HBO, it would be dominating conversation much more because it's been a fantastic show. It's kind of come out onto its own. It has gone full dark. It is really dark and kind of tragic while at the same time remaining quite funny. When the show first debuted, there were a lot of comparisons to Gross Point Blank or Breaking Bad. This is its own thing now. It's very weird and bizarre, and this is very much Bill Hader's vision. So I can't wait to dive into that and talk about that. But first, it's time to get back into it. Wow. What a season it has been for Succession. Um, when this season first debuted, I had beef at the top of my list for shows I've enjoyed the most this year. That was at the top of my list. I do think that now that I've seen the majority of the episodes of this season of Succession, that has vaulted to number one, and I haven't even seen the finale yet. The 90-minute finale, by the way. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to talk about where Succession is at right now and uh, predictions for what will happen tonight. All right, let's get into it. Let's take it away on Succession. All right, Succession. Season four. It's ending in season four, yes, which took some people... Uh, I've, I've discussed this before. It took a little bit of uh, some people by surprise, but Jesse Armstrong has always said this show will probably go on for four or five seasons, and he took the under on that case. Do I wish he took the over? I don't know. I mean, we need to see how the final episode pans out, but... Um, the finale will be tonight. It is called, uh, with open eyes. It is going to be 90 minutes long. So it's like a movie almost. It will be directed by Mark Mylod, who is kind of the 
he's the main guy who directs most of the big, big episodes. And um, I haven't been this excited for a finale of TV. Maybe not since the, I don't know, the finale of Game of Thrones, which <laughs> at that point, I also had a lukewarm feeling with Game of Thrones because it was like, yeah, things are not as good as they maybe could have been. But in this case, things are every bit as good as they could be. And perhaps they're exceeding my expectations. So I'm just going to offer some opinions here on um, Succession. It is not my favorite type of show. Exactly. I like stuff like Game of Thrones, fantasy, sci-fi, stuff like that. Breaking Bad, which is kind of more in the, like a crime drama, so to speak. I really like that. But sometimes if stuff is so good and so compelling and the characters are so are really good, then I can certainly go for it. In the case of Mad Men, which is one of my all-time favorite shows, that mainly is a kind of a character study slash workplace drama. But it was just so fantastic that I couldn't not watch. And this is the case with Succession, which is, gosh, I guess it's kind of almost like a corporate thriller slash dark comedy slash workplace dark comedy slash tragedy. It's a lot of things wrapped into one. It's interesting when you hear people comment on it, they're like, oh, this kind of almost reminds me of The Office a little bit. And it's like, kind of, it kind of has that, you know, has the shaky cam with the impromptu zooms that happen like you would see in The Office. And it has a lot of witty banter thrown back and forth. And there is that element, but there is like grand dramatic stakes with the, particularly with the music by Nicholas Bratel, by the way, shout out to Nicholas Bratel who wrote the music of this show, who composed all the overtones. It, it's really fantastic. And it's this amazing mix of basically classical film score with almost like some hip hop beats on it. Uh, and they even have the, I think one of the songs is called 808s and succession theme. So it has like an 808 beat on it. Um, so that's what succession is. But I think ultimately above all else, it is this tragedy that at times is going to make you laugh a Shakespearean tragedy with lots of dark humor in it. It seems to be going that way because after watching this season and watching the events unfold, it is showing basically the sways of how something happens with Kendall. This is the story of Kendall above all else with his father, who at first he feels stabbed by, he feels like he's been stabbed in the back by his father because his father decides to not name him heir to the company. And so then he spends the first season trying to undermine his father. And then something happens and a tragedy happens in his life. And then he is basically this broken puppet of his father in the second season until then he goes against his father again and spends the third season doing that. And then is torn down along with the rest of his siblings torn down again. And then another tragedy happens in that. And by the way, I'm going to ask full spoilers here. So if you have not watched succession, then uh, go watch it up to the point of uh, the first nine episodes of the fourth season and then come back and listen to this. So spoiler alert, this is your last warning. Um, his father dies and then all of a sudden it looks like it's priming him up to be basically become his father. 
or maybe not. I don't know. So, you know, obviously it shows Kendall doing these things in the ninth episode, which was phenomenal. One of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen with him asking for his father's old security guard to work for him and asking Hugo, the head of comms, to work for him, who was kind of like almost like a fixer for his father in terms of media uh, to work for him. And he's setting up this thing and he's going to cut out the legs of his other siblings and be on top. And the line that Kendall said that really was uh, meaningful, it's like one head, one crown. And this was his ambition all along. Um, but a lot can happen in 90 minutes. Remember, that's the length of a lot of movies. Not all movies today. Uh, a lot of movies are longer than that. But some movies, for instance, uh, like Air, I recently watched. I might do an AirPod, by the way. That was basically the length of that movie. The Super Mario Brothers movie. It's a 90-minute movie. So a lot can happen within the time span of that, uh, within that time span of that episode. So we shall see. It's interesting. I hear critics kind of mentioning this show and almost sounding sad. And I'm sad. I'm sad that this show is ending because I want it to go on. But I'm also celebrating the ending. Uh, that this is going to leave a massive void in TV. And there will be nothing else that dominates the monoculture. I do have a little bit of a quibble with that because I will say, if you look at the numbers of this show... It is not anywhere near on the level of Game of Thrones. It's a very popular show, but it's popular in the circles of like, you know, people who probably have like a college education and um, I don't know, live on, live in cities, live in urban areas. Game of Thrones was a much bigger tent show. I spoke to people of all demographics and backgrounds who watched Game of Thrones. And that's not really the case of uh, Succession. That's not a knock against the show, but um, it does not dominate in the way that Game of Thrones did. So I do think that, you know, while sure, there might be a little bit of a void, I do think that there will be a show that comes after this. There always is. There's so many ideas out there. You know, this is like the end of a relationship, I guess, where you get out of a relationship where you're really in love and then it ends and you're like, I'm going to die alone. And I don't know. I mean, does that expression still ring true? There's plenty of more fish in the sea. There will be plenty more fish in the sea with regard to TV shows. So uh, cool your jets on that critics. Come on, come on. I understand that this is an A-plus show. Yeah, the, so A-plus because of the performances, the memorable moments. I went back now and have rewatched all the episodes of this show, almost up to the point of um, the episode we're at now. And I rarely do that with TV shows. I've only done that with a handful. I've done that with Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and Game of Thrones. And those are really the only other shows that I've done, this with, done that with. Oh, yeah, and Severance. But Severance is so early in its uh, existence, so... You know, that one, it remains to be seen. So that's the sign of an all-timer. I've also watched moments from this show on YouTube that I really like. And that's another thing. That's just, uh, that's just the signs of a good show here. Um, and also, another great thing about the show, and this is kind of a similarity to Game of Thrones, is I see a lot of actors coming out of this show that were 
they were successful working actors, but they will become like well known after this. For instance, like Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark and Peter Dinklage are now well known actors who are booking a lot of other things. And they are, you know, they are entities, they are stars, kind of. And that they very well happen with Jeremy Strong, Sarah Snook, Matthew McFadian, gosh, Nicholas Braun, and many others. Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin's a little bit interesting, though, because he was already, like, in a lot of big movies. He just kind of lived under the shadow of his extremely famous brother. But he's carved himself out, man, especially after the ninth episode where he is on the podium delivering, supposed to deliver a speech, a eulogy, so to speak, uh, at the funeral for his father and just breaks down into tears. That was an amazing all-time scene. And I... I did not see that coming, and I thought it was just so amazing. Um, and as for Jer Jeremy Strong, who, by the way, <laughs> if you see interviews with that guy, he is very much an actor's actor. He comes across as this guy who doesn't seem like he likes doing interviews and is kind of mysterious and a bit aloof. He seems like a really nice guy, but he has almost this like Daniel Day-Lewis, Johnny Depp kind of presence about him where he just seems a little bit strange and mysterious in a way in a good way and i say that in a good way um so you know that of all the people that guy might go the furthest uh he might be like kind of one of those guys that can be you know a routine academy award nominated person it remains to be seen but um i think he has that potential matthew mcfadian who is an amazing british actor who does an incredible accent you would never know he's british by the way um he is moving on to be in Deadpool 3. I loved him in The Last Kingdom, by the way. Great show. I did a little segment on that on a previous episode. Uh, he'll go on to continue working, but you know he might do a lot of British stuff, too. Um, and Brian Cox, who has been a longtime, uh, very successful actor in a lot of Hollywood movies. I mean, I first became familiar with him in the movie X2, X-Men United as William Stryker the primary antagonist, which was a huge movie. He was in that. He was in two of the board movies as an antagonist. Um, he's in a lot of other movies, Red Eye, Zodiac. Uh, you know, he was a big film actor. And it's really quite interesting that this arc that of this guy who has been very successful as... Uh, kind of a, always either a villain or a supporting player to get this very flashy main role in this extremely popular show that has taken off and been a piece of monoculture, a kind of fractured monoculture uh, show. And to have that happen in your 70s, just more power to him. And he seems to be very much soaking in the moment. He's now doing, I, I think I've seen him on commercials recently. So it's like... Brian Cox, kudos to you for having a moment in your 70s. Incredible. Uh, and, you know, it's an all-time great performance. It's probably the flashiest performance, too. The man is absolutely terrifying and awful, yet at the same time, you cannot look away. And it's a different kind of awful. Like, for instance, Don Draper has a lot of awfulness to him, but it's much more subtle uh, and nuanced, where this... 
I don't know. I, I don't know how, how nuanced is Logan Roy as a person on the surface. He's just awful, awful, awful. And there's not much. I mean, there's, there's maybe slight moments of human decency in him, but it's so few and far between. And he just, above all else, his company is his baby and his power in this world of uh, top heavy capitalism is his, is the main aspect of his existence. So, um, you know, to see, he will protect that at all costs. And so that, I think that, you know, that usurps any other aspect of his life, whether that's his wife or his kids or his coworkers or anything else that is uh, Logan Roy. And I, I thought that James Cromwell, his, who plays his brother, Ewan delivered that in the eulogy perfectly kind of humanized him a bit with the whole polio thing and saying that, you know, we came here as basically refugees of World War II and then grew up in Canada and polio happened. And, you know, my aunt and uncle blamed him for his sister's death because they thought he carried it. He never let that go. And so that maybe shaped him at a young age and put an awfulness in him. But at the same time, he never was able to transcend that awfulness. And now this is the world that he lives in. And he has just appealed to the bitter nature of humanity and has made um, tremendous amounts of money off of that. And that is Logan Roy in a nutshell. And then that has carried forth to his children who they kind of have a bit more of nuance and humanity in them. But at the end of the day, all of these kids, uh, <sighs> they're going to go for, you know, they're going to go for these cynical plays of this system that they're in. And that is what Jesse Armstrong was kind of, that feels like what he's trying to say this whole time. It's like, you know, he is a Brit. He is a uh, made show, a show called the thick of it, which is about a very satirical and bleak look at British politics. And this is his very satirical and bleak look at American capitalism slash politics. And he's saying, like, this whole thing is so effed up. It's so awful. And the levers are supposedly turning due to the people. But actually, there's a heavy influence from really this tiny, tiny collection, the 0.00001% of people who are picking candidates and making calls on cable news. And that that's everything that's happening. And... That's kind of, um, gosh, that's kind of what happened with the eighth episode, which recreated this mishmash of the 2000, the 2016, the 2020 election, which was, it was horrifying to watch and almost a little bit traumatizing. That's kind of what happened with that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is all too, this feels all too real when this is happening. It's like, oh wait, you were going to root for any of these characters? No, 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 no. You shouldn't root for any of these people because this is how, this is how they're going to act in a moment of crisis. And this is how awful it is. So that's where we are on, uh, on uh, succession. And that's what he has to say about it. As for him ending the show, you know, I think writing for TV is very difficult, particularly on a consistent basis of this quality. It's easy. It's, it's, well, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. It's one thing to turn in an excellent all-time season of TV. It's another thing to turn in back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back great seasons of TV as the all-time shows have done. Like, 
Breaking Bad and Mad Men and uh, Succession and to an extent Game of Thrones first six seasons great um so you know he looks tired in those behind the scenes interviews and I think he had apparently he had the broad strokes plan and the outline of how to do a season five but he's like yeah I just it just feels right to do this and at the end of the day that's what HBO does that's what Casey Bloys does that's what we have to do we have to trust in the creator here so uh, especially because we have not seen the finale yet. Only few have. Mark Mylod, or not Mark Mylod, of course he's seen it because he directed it. Um, Adam McKay, who was an early producer of the show and directed the pilot, has seen it. And he said, I still need to recover emotionally from this. But granted, you know, he is a producer, so he has a stake in the game. So, of course, he's going to say that. But still, I'll take the uh, the good breadcrumbs where I can get them. Um any other thoughts before I wrap this up? Oh, yes, predictions. Oh, man. So we have this outline and we see, you know, on the, at the end of the ninth episode, we're left with that chilling image where uh, Roman is so crestfallen because he broke down in tears and seems to have not been able to work out the relationship with Jared Menken. And so his brother kind of chastises him for it and says, like, you effed it, man. You effed it. And uh, so now he walks away into a crowd of protesters in the streets of Manhattan and seems to invite a beating to the face and then just kind of walks away almost like the uh, like the Joker, like just like kind of stumbling through a crowd. Like, yeah, the, the, I think one thing to point out is the physicality of Roman, of uh, Kieran Culkin's performance, not just the snickering and the um, all the quips that he gets in, which have been fantastic. Um, but the kind of the stuff that he does with his, like, you know, the weird stretching of his back and the weird way where he, uh, sits in chairs and stuff and the way he kind of sometimes stumbles through it, it's a really good physical performance as opposed to just a straight up performance as well. It's, he clearly is thinking about everything he's doing. So, you know, shout out to, uh, Kieran Culkin. I hope he goes on to do really big things after this. Um, so Roman's out and now it's kind of like, it seems to be, uh, pivoting itself to Shiv versus Kendall at the end. And, um, I think conventional wisdom would suggest that, yeah, it's been Kendall's story. It's Kendall all along. He's in the very second shot of the first episode of the pilot. And this show is always focused on Kendall. He said that compared this to, uh, Henry the third, I might've that wrong, but Henry the third, who was a character who kind of cuts his way all the way to the top and uh, of a um, all the way to the top in the story. And I don't know, maybe that's a little bit spoilery, but maybe not, but who knows, maybe something else could happen. So, you know, I guess the obvious answer here is Kendall will be on top, but at what cost he'll probably be completely alone and completely isolated. You've already seen that happening with him kind of Rava, his ex-wife, basically taking the kids upstate and now they're not, you know, it looks like things are pretty bitter and they're not going to going to be in communication with him. His assistant who has been with him through the thick and thin of it, Jess decides that she wants to leave and doesn't want to be around him anymore. And he doesn't handle that well at all. And I don't know, Roman, like what even happens to Roman after this? And it seems like things are pretty bitter between him and Shiv and Connor. It's like, eh, I don't know. So, um, 
and he doesn't have his father anymore. And his fa- the father actually, you know, Logan might have been the glue that held this family together. Who knows? In a way, it's kind of sorry, this. Uh, he was the glue that held this family together in kind of a dark, sick, twisted way. So um, that is the obvious answer. Or Shiv could be on top. Or, or I have a little bit of a hot take here. I've been talking to a few people about this. Potentially, potentially, um, Matson will win out and he will install an American CEO, but it will not be Shiv. And instead it will be just someone he can control more in the vein of Tom or Greg. And the reason why I say that is you could see at the end of the episode, he's kind of looking when he says American CEO, when he's in the car and he's on the phone call with Shiv, he looks over in the car almost as if he, as if he's looking at someone and Greg really isn't there to be seen at the party. So maybe it's Greg or maybe it's Tom. Tom does leave as well. So maybe Tom stepped in a car real quick. Who knows? And it's the ultimate, uh, you know, betrayal. This whole family is screwed out as soon as their father uh, passes away. And this is basically the downfall of an American dynasty swallowed up by another new wave of, uh, of top heavy, um, corporate consolidation that would be certainly be an interesting and perhaps fitting end into all of this but uh that's the best i got in terms of predictions i don't really know but it looks like it's going to be uh emotionally um heart-wrenching as much as one can be because you kind of feel this weird thing where it's like these are awful people but there are times where they are humans and i feel for them so um, that's it right there. Once the show ends, I am going to miss it a lot. And, um, not only am I going to miss the great drama of this and the, uh, all the beauty of the locales they go, but this show also cracks me up. And a lot of people quibble with this. You know, I've spoken to a few people and they say, you know, kind of the way people talk. So for an example, um, you know, there is, kind of the, these quips that people deliver and it's like, uh, and it's really clever and really plugged into like pop culture and stuff like that. So for instance, Roman is like, Oh, do you want to get to de- to get, uh, get together for dinner tonight? And, uh, he'll be like, I know what that's about, you know, human rights, kale. <laughs> and it's like, who is actually that clever to deliver lines like that? But you know what? Obviously these are writers kind of firing off jokes and I welcome it with open arms because the show just, cracks me up so uh another thing i will miss dearly all right well that will end it that's as far as i go on succession precap tune in tonight to the series finale of succession episode 10 90 minutes with open eyes it's gonna be an all-timer i think i hope All right, Barry, that show is ending tonight too, just in case you forgot. It's in also in its uh, fourth season. What an interesting, um, gosh, what an interesting manifestation of everything Barry is, by the way. We often talk about people who come from Saturday Night Live and observe their careers after, and most people expect 
Someone who was an SNL alum to become kind of like a comedy star afterwards. I think maybe the best example of this is Will Ferrell, who was a really, really key player on SNL for many years and then went on to star in a massive array of hit comedy movies from Anchorman to uh, Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby to uh, Step Brothers to many, many, many other movies. And some of them are offshoots of SNL skits. And that's kind of like what we expect of a lot of uh, alum. So Bill Hader is so unique in this case as he has starred in a lot of comedy movies while he was on SNL and after and maybe dramedy stuff. And he's done, but he's done some more serious stuff as well. And apparently this guy has like severe anxiety, um, including when it comes to performing in front of people. So it's, it's just so fascinating. And he grew up in the Midwest and a lot of those, um, thoughts about growing up in the Midwest and anxiety are kind of on display as underlying themes of the show Barry. Obviously, on the surface, the show is kind of almost like a like a shtick premise, as in like, oh, it's a, what if a hitman decided he wanted to become an actor all of a sudden? He just got tired of being a hitman. And We've seen themes like this before, not necessarily with acting, but like observing a hitman and like this normal everyday life. And let's let's humanize this person, not in a dark way, but kind of in a comedic way with uh, the best example is Gross Point Blank, the John Cusack movie, um, which was uh, was a pretty good movie. This is so much more than that. And you could almost say that that Gross Point Blank almost excuses the guy excuses the fact that this guy is, a you know, he murders people for a living. And this show dives deeper into that. And it's like, oh, what if he decided to do that and just decided to live a normal life? Redemption, right? And he wants to be an actor. And uh, he finds companionship in the circuit of actors that are um, out there in L.A. And there's a lot of camaraderie between those people. And it's like, but wait a minute. You know, this guy is still stuck in this world and he also still did all of these things and it's not a world that he cannot escape. And, you know, when these two worlds try to collide, the normal world where he tries to be an actor in L.A. and then the world of crime and death and drugs and all this other stuff collide. Uh, there's really no good outcome here. And we that also kind of brings to mind Breaking Bad in that it's, inviting chaos into normal everyday suburbia uh, in the way that Breaking Bad has. He's a normal family man, wants to live a normal life, but he's also inviting this life of drugs, death and destruction and crime into his life. And it's like, there's no clean, uh, you know, hey, I'm just going to make a couple bucks and then get out of this. There's no clean break from that. And getting out of the world of being a professional assassin, there is no clean break there. Uh, and that's ultimately this show, again, is a tragedy. And it's a tragedy that's taken some big swings. And I I, I like that. I like big swings. <laughs> um, it's interesting because this show started off uh, very promising. Eight episodes, 30-minute episodes there. Um, and it's just very weird. A lot of the jokes are really strange. Prince, like the character like Noho Hank, who is just like this kind of 
this kind of goofy, friendly guy going, hey, man. Um, but he also happens to work for the Chechen mob. It's just, <laughs> it's very interesting. A lot of jokes here are very funny. Also, this is a great observation of the absurdity of Hollywood. And it has a lot of thoughts to offer there on the audition process. And like, I think one of the best scenes is there's a point where uh, Barry auditions for a role in a big movie and they actually has a cameo from the director, Jay Roach, who directed movies like Austin Powers. And it shows Barry just reading lines. He doesn't really care about it. And like Jay Roach is so impressed, just going, wow, this guy just does not give like a crap about any of this. And he's very impressed because so many actors, when they audition, they're trying to make it big. And so it's like a life or death situation. And it shows that if you really don't care, maybe you could actually make it. And I don't know, some interesting thoughts on the industry. This show has evolved over time of being kind of very comedic with a slight dark undertones to being kind of very dark and dramatic first with some comedic overtones instead. It's kind of inversed itself. And um, I think that's for the better. It's this really interesting uh, transformation that's happened over four seasons. And now the show is just kind of full nightmare fuel where it's taken this big swing and spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil much of the show. So don't listen, watch Barry and then come back. It's actually not going to take that much time. Um, the show has gone skipped ahead eight years and they're living in the middle of nowhere in like a desert. Uh, Barry and um, Sally, they have a child and he's invited the child to this weird isolated world. And it's like, this is the kind of pinnacle of a nightmare. Sally is a full-blown alcoholic who's miserable. Barry may be happy, but he's also has this weird kind of adherence to religion, but it's not really like, that's just kind of a cover to make him feel better about himself. And he kind of does this, uh, he's even talked about this on that podcast on The Ringer, which is really good, by the way. And he hasn't done that in solidarity with the writer's strike, which is good. It's uh, the Prestige TV podcast with Sean Fennessy. And he does these great interviews describing what his thoughts are. And he talks about how he does this, like almost this observation on the complexities of like great men like Abe Lincoln. And it's like, well, actually there's a lot of bad stuff about him. And he's kind of just observing YouTube videos, getting red pilled and, uh, uh, listening to this stuff and it's like, oh, well, you know, everyone's complex, so I'm complex. And it's like, eh, yeah, but you're for the most part like a person who is a killer who has pulled a bunch of people down with you in a way. Um, so yeah, now we're in that nightmare and uh, everything has come back to LA at this point. It's taken a little bit, almost, almost like an arc similar to Breaking Bad, where it's like, let's step away from the world uh, where all this chaos is happening for a minute, and then let's step back into it. Very similar arc to Breaking Bad, although it takes place over many years. Um, and now it all ends with this final episode. And by the way, I have no idea if this episode will be 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. I assume it will be in the range of 30 minutes, maybe probably like in the, maybe probably like a 40 to 45 minute episode just to wrap everything up because there's still a lot to wrap up. And Sally and the kid are captured by Noho Hank and the Chechen mob. And this is all going to come to a, uh, what I assume will be a very dark and tragic ending. Yeah. So that's a full observation of the show there. A couple notes. Um, 
this is another show that has shown the uh, acting chops of a lot of people, particularly Bill Hader, who can go into, wow, um, it's so much more than a guy who can just imitate people. Uh, he can do comedy in this weird way, and he can also do, uh, you know, physical, almost action-based acting fight scenes. And he can also do, like, scary, very physical, um, intense monstrous acting as well. Uh, Sarah Goldberg, who is uh, a relative nuke, we haven't seen her in much, is proven to be an amazing actress. She's had some amazing monologues that she's done, particularly that one in the second season. And um, she's moving on to big things. She has uh, just booked a role on season three of uh, the hit HBO workplace drama industry, which is maybe a show that will take over. Um, as these other shows end. Um, and Henry Winkler, Fonzie himself, you know, was a huge star in a big show from a long time ago, uh, kind of a, like a heartthrob as fa as the Fonz. And then kind of was just in a few things after that, he was in the water boy, but never really had a, couldn't kind of jump out of the shadow of that role. It's always like one role that you hit and then you just kind of jump out. And with this performance, um, in Barry, he has escaped the shadow of that role. And it's, um, it's really incredible. I feel so happy for Henry Winkler. You always love kind of a, in a way, kind of a comeback story. There's been Anthony Carrigan as Noho Hank, uh, who is just at first kind of a comedic figure, but now there's come some surprising depth and tragedy to his role as well. And, um, and that he kind of sold out his his partner and uh, romantic interest, the man he loved in the name of power with the Chechen mob. And he feels clearly that's his driving force. And he um, now sits alone atop this, uh, this throne, but he sits alone under, you know, the weight of a great tragedy in his life. And it's, uh, it's fascinating to look at. And finally, uh, shout out to Robert Wisdom, who plays um, the detective that uh, and uh, the love interest of uh, Henry Winkler's character in the first season. Uh, he's really good as this retired cop who um, has kind of done this weird interrogation techniques, including convincing a man to speak German, nothing but German, even though he didn't speak German before. Um, just kind of terrifying and maybe will be the folly of uh, Barry at the end. I don't even know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, a couple of shout outs to the performances. And then we finally have to talk about uh, the direction of this show. This show since season two, and even on season one, but particularly season two with that uh, Ronnie Lilly episode where he ends up trying to basically assassinate a guy, but just tells him, oh, book a trip to Chicago and leave instead. And it happens to be this guy who is like a martial arts expert. And it's this ridiculous, almost surrealist episode where he fights that guy and then it happens to fight his daughter, who is this martial artist as well. And it's this really cool set piece. And at that point, the show started entering the conversation for me as like, oh, this is something that really stands out. This is A plus stuff here. And I believe it was directed by Bill Hader. And um, gosh, and then he continued that within the third season with the uh, episode 710 North, where he 
does that episode where he's on the bike and he has that hit squad on the bikes chasing him and he's going through all this traffic on the LA freeway. Uh, and it's just this crazy, crazy set piece. And it does these really wide angle action scenes. And then these really interesting shots of a car chase where it's kind of behind the bike and in front of the bike. And we just, and there's no music at all either. And it's just very unique in the way it's filmed. It almost reminded me like when it's in the perspective behind him and he's riding on 710 North on that episode in the third season, it almost reminded me of like a video game. It looks like it reminded me of like Grand Theft Auto when you're on a bike. It looked exactly like that. So very, very cool stuff. Um, you can see kind of some of the influences that he's had. He um, did a rewatchables on the ringer with, uh, with Bill Simmons. And he mentioned uh, it was for the, the movie, no country for old men, the Coen brothers movie, which has some excellent set pieces too. And you can see some of the influence there and doing these crazy kind of set, like violent set pieces that show just all the chaos of this moment that happens in, you know, normal, you know, everyday life. And there's no music going on either. And, and you could see the influence of that and that he has these musicless set pieces that happen that are really uh, quite something to watch. Um, and, you know, very cool in the fourth season that Bill Hader decided to direct all of the episodes himself, all eight episodes. And while that, I, you know, you could tell by his voice and when he says in interviews, he is really, really tired out from this and he stress eats and all of the the work involved with putting this all together. This is his vision from end to end. This is his singular vision for this show. And so when he decided to end this thing, um, he's just like, it's not about necessarily about going on, uh, uh, going out on top. It's just about, I want this to be this thing to be as perfect as it is. And, uh, you know, you could credit, um, you can go back to Vince Gilligan with that, who ended breaking bad in season five. And he's just like, this is the vision I have. This is how I know best how to end this thing. And this is what I had in my mind all along. And I, I don't want this story to go on just for the sake of extending the show. And again, just like succession, we have to respect the artist here. And it's also really hard, exhausting work. I recently saw an interview, not to digress here, but I recently saw an interview with uh, Jerry Seinfeld on Howard Stern. He was offered over $100 million to continue Seinfeld beyond its uh, final season. And he just said, I don't want to do it anymore. It's a lot of hard work doing this stuff. And um, I don't see a point where I could continue this thing without feeling like the quality is lagging. And uh, that's all there is to it. And, you know, I understand that people will be disappointed and they want this to go on, but this is how I know best how to end this thing. And, you know, for those of you who might quibble with the ending of Seinfeld, there's something to be said there. But I think what the point I'm trying to make is that Creating this stuff is hard. It's a lot of hard work between shooting and writing and all of this stuff. It's, it's, it's exhausting work, despite that you're making, you know, uh, truckloads of money. It gets to a point where it doesn't even matter anymore. And it's just like, I want to be, you know, I care a lot about this work and uh, I want to, you know, feel good about what I'm making to a certain extent without just shamelessly continuing uh my art here, my creation. So kudos to Bill Hader for ending it. I'm sure both uh, HBO would have been glad to have more seasons of both Barry and Succession. <laughs> but, uh, and it will, it, it, it's an amazing moment that we're having 
two Pantheon level shows ending at once. I, I can't think of a time that that's happened before. Um, I don't think that The Wire and uh, The Sopranos ended at the same time or Breaking Bad and Mad Men certainly didn't end at the same time. Game of Thrones was kind of in its own its own thing. So, um, and the other thing about this is that these shows have been good throughout. So, you know, I have really quite a bit of confidence that they will stick the landing of the ending for both shows. I, I don't know how polarizing will the ending be for these shows. I don't feel that they'll be all that polarizing. I think that we're just going to be shook and it's going to be tragic and it's going to be heartbreaking and uh, we'll be talking about it. So that's all I have for thoughts on this precap of these shows. Um, watch them tonight. It's going to be, uh, I assume, you know, two plus hours of TV uh, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and um, tune into them and I will have a full recap reaction podcast of both the finales of succession and Barry. I'm going to try to get that out uh, as soon as tomorrow. So, you know, I'll see, but um, I might have to collect my thoughts. We'll see, but uh, looking forward to it tonight. Um, that's all we have for this episode of too much to watch. Uh, this is an exciting moment. So uh, thank you for joining us. Um, and we'll be releasing an episode tomorrow. It'll be the closest back-to-back episodes of Too Much to Watch ever. I have to really step up my game here. I'm Sam Papard. I will see you next time on Too Much to Watch.